Episode 85, Katerina Kostula, author of the new book, Hold Successful Meetings. I've given my favorite mistake a title. It's called The Lonely Genius is a Myth. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, links to Katerina's book and website and more, go to markraven.com slash mistake85. Please follow, rate, and review. Thanks for listening. Our guest today is Katerina Kostula. She is an executive coach. She's founder of her company called The Leader Path. Prior to that, she was a global business leader at Google, where she managed some of the company's largest C-level partnerships. Um, Katerina has lived in more than seven countries across America, Europe, and Asia. She now lives in London, and you can learn more about Katerina at her website, theleaderpath.com. And I think this is exciting, too. She's the author of the new book titled Hold Successful Meetings, and who doesn't want to do that? So, Katerina, thank you for joining us here today. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. So there's a lot we can talk about, I think, here on the topic of meetings, but as we usually do here, I'm going to jump right in and ask you to tell a story. You know, looking back at your work and your career, Katerina, what is your favorite mistake? Sure. I've given my favorite mistake a title, which I will share to you with you. It's called The Lonely Genius is a Myth. It may sound pretentious a, a little bit, but I think it's, it's a good title. I use it for my talks now, and it's a good reminder for me. Uh, and for the people I talk, I work with as well. So I left Google 2018 to build the Leader Path, my executive coaching company. And I was a little bit tired of the big company. As much as Google is more agile than a lot of companies, I, my vision was I will be free, working on my own, having my own business. And... I, want, I wanted to be a solopreneur. I was reading all these books, seven-figure solopreneur. <laughs> uh, and my mistake was not that I didn't outsource things. I was outsourcing since the beginning. Like I got the accountant and the virtual assistant. My mistake was that I kept having all the ideas for my business and I kept making all the decisions for the business. And the worst mistakes, as you probably know, is the ones that you don't realize there are mistakes for a long time. Uh, and I, I was doing that. I was bringing people in the business, but I was still holding this idea generation and decision making. And it was only when I started researching the book, the, the uh, Hold Successful Meetings, um, I wanted to, to solve this problem for my clients. I was helping my clients build teams, but I wasn't doing it in my business, right? And it, the, it was a piece of research that helped me realize the mistake. And it was three professors in Northwestern University, and they studied for... All scientific papers, 19 million of them over 50 years and more than 2 million patents. And what they found out was that the scientific papers submitted by a team were, so, were cited twice as often as that of individuals. And because of the, how robust the research was, the penny dropped for me. I was like, I 
cannot have the impact I want if I don't work in a team, not just um, outsourcing or having a transactional relationship uh, with people, but really having a team around me. And I could say to you, Mark, that after this, everything worked out and uh, the team appeared and it was a happily ever after. I, I think I needed, I shifted the, yes, I need to do this, but I was struggling in executing this. And I remember myself talking to my mentor and saying, I don't, it's not working. Like I'm now hiring this high, high pay, like high salary people or high paying people and they're not performing. What's going, what am I doing wrong? Like I have this, my standards are too high. Like in the execution, I was struggling. And it was my mentor who said, you know, you need to decide what leader you want to be. And it's funny because that was, that's my job. I, I coach leaders, right? Um, but, but because all my emotional energy and my empathy and was going towards the clients, it was not going towards the team. And it was only when I realized that, okay, I need to de- devote to my team the same attention and relationship building and rapport and holding and empathy that I was dedicating to my clients. But I actually managed to turn that mistake around. And, and it was delightful. Well, the first time that an idea for the business that didn't come from me and someone brought and solved an issue or brought an idea that I hadn't think about it. And it sounds funny because it, it was delightful. Like the, the, the work became so much more fun. The impact uh, increased. So that, that was my favorite mistake. And I'll let you ask any questions if you wish. Sure. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I, I've got some follow-up questions. I think we can sort of, you know, dig a little bit more into your, your circumstances and what you learned. I mean, I guess one reflection that comes to mind for me, I'm also a solopreneur. I often partner up with other companies and work as an affiliate or subcontractor to them. But you know, thinking um, as a solopreneur... Um, for better or for worse, a lot of it does, I feel like, fall on me. I might ask uh, my wife for input. I might ask a friend or another independent colleague for input, but it seems like it's just part of the nature of it. But can you share, Katerina, an example, um, can, you know, like more specifically, when you said that first time you got an idea from somebody else? Was that one of your, if you will, contractors or, or who, who was it? What was that scenario? Yes, it was my executive assistant the, the first time. And it was just having someone taking the initiative and in like because I had onboarded her more and I brought in in the business, have something and it, it was as simple as I think I wanted to why, why don't you record using an auto cue? It wasn't like mm-hmm. something yeah. groundbreaking. But I remember I still remember it because I was like, oh yeah, that, that's a great idea. Or, or ha- having this right-hand assistant is something I recommend. And I, I'm not, being a solopreneur, I think it, the future of work will be the gig economy, right? And it, it's perfectly um, preferable. Like people want independence and they want flexibility. But how do we build strategic partners through this gig economy? While we don't have employees, but we do have strategic contractors and pat- pa- partners. And also... I have to say the masterminds, like as a solopreneur, having this group, having the mentors, like I talked to you about my mentors before and also having um, peers, group of peers that support you. So I, I totally, I, I know the journey of the solopreneur and I think it is, it is a flexible way of working. I'm still, I'm still sup- supporting it, 
but it's good not to be the only one doing the thinking. <laughs> well, and I think of that scenario and in auto cue that that's a form of like a, a teleprompter type system. Yes, yes exactly. And so, you know, thinking of looking from the outside um, at you as a leader and thinking about different organizations, there are some organizations and some leaders um, where you know, somebody speaks up and has an idea and that leader reacts in a way that either explicitly or more subtly says, well, that's not your job to have ideas. I'm just paying you to execute the tasks I'm giving you. And I, and I think it's a, a more evolved form of leadership to be open to the ideas of others and realize that, you know, you don't need to have all the ideas yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm curious if that has, if, if, if you have thoughts about that as extended to some of the leaders that you coach, how do you help them be open to ideas? And, you know, I, I think a lot of times people um, shoot down ideas in a way that's subtle. It's a, it's a look, it's a reaction, it's a sigh. Like, I'm curious, how, how do you coach leaders through this idea of being open to ideas? Yes. I would say on the surface, everyone is open on, on ideas, but as, subconsciously they're sabotaging them. So when leaders bring me in to work with them or their team, they say, I, I feel the weight of the world in my shoulders. I really want the team to step up. So I, I haven't met people saying, oh, I want to have all the ideas. In, in, in theory, they do want the team to, to have ideas. But then when I interview the team members, the team <laughs> members say they're too scared <laughs> to bring up the ideas. And, and I first came in contact with the concept of psychological safety while I was still working at Google. You must have heard of this. Google uh, researched 180 teams to figure out what would make them successful and they just couldn't figure it out. Like they, they saw the individual performance, whether they were located in the same office, how they were making decisions, nothing mattered. They, they just couldn't tr crack the code of what made successful teams and different from unsuccessful until they stumbled upon the research on psychological safety. So it, it is the first thing I do when I work with a team. I would say even before a common purpose, <laughs> I would work on psychological safety first because I think once you've sorted the psychological safety and psychological, well, what is psychological safety? That you can take an interpersonal risk in the team, that you can bring an idea, you can share a mistake like we're doing here. Um, so going back to your question, how can they do that, right? The first one is how they react when an idea comes in or or when a critical remark, or when criticism comes in. Like sometimes the ideas are welcome, but sometimes when someone disagrees, Welcome everything is the first one because people will learn from your reactions as a leader. The second is model vulnerability. Again, you're the leader in this with this podcast. If as a leader you share a, mis a mistake in the beginning and you make it okay for people to be wrong, then they can share ideas because, you know, it's an idea. We don't know. Maybe it's a silly idea. Like when we have a groundbreaking idea, it seems silly. That, that's a fact. Like if it was not... If it seemed reasonable, it wouldn't be groundbreaking. Right. Or people say, why didn't I think of this sooner? And they feel bad in a way. Yes. Yeah. What you're mentioning now is some leaders that feel threatened, actually, when people step up. So that's something that comes quite a lot of co in coaching as well. And, and then we need to work a little bit deeper on what's your role as a leader? Is it... That comes up quite a lot in coaching. What you just said, it comes up 
when someone has an idea, I should have come up with this. And really? Uh, your job as a leader is to harness the creativity of your people. It's not necessary to come with all the ideas yourself, but that's something, you're right, comes up quite a lot in coaching. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, I, I think it's great you bring up that phrase, psychological safety. I've had the chance in a different podcast series to interview uh, Professor Amy Edmondson from Harvard Business School, who yeah. has written a lot Amazing. about... Um, psychological safety. And I remember her talking about her research. It was not just nurses and healthcare, but Google was yeah. one of the companies that was cited of the, the, the main variable that would identify a really high performing team was the level of psychological safety. So it's, it's, it's interesting now to run across you who was on sort of the other side. You were, you were maybe the researched instead of the researcher. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, I think, you know, we can take a deeper dive into the concept of meetings and, and your book. But one question that comes to mind is your thoughts on the effectiveness of meetings uh, related to the level of psychological safety. If you've got meetings with a lot of people who don't know each other, are there things that you can or should do in a meeting to establish psychological safety? Or does it, is it not that easy? Does it take more time? I think you you definitely need to do things in a meeting because if you don't do them in the meeting, when are you going to do with them? Like, I think meetings are the best place to build that psychological safety because it's, it's valuable time, meetings, because you have everyone at the same time together, right? And I think paying attention to how you start the meeting is really important. And sometimes we just jump on the agenda because we're busy and let, let's get to work. And we... But... We think if we spend even five times in the beginning to center ourselves and connect at the human level, we think it's a waste of time, but it's not. Like There's a lot of research about this, that even five minutes of informal conversation in the beginning will make it a lot more effective later. Or even they, they had two teams. One, they told them, share something you have in common in the beginning and then negotiate. And the others told them, just work on the negotiation immediately. And only the teams that had sh something in common managed to find a solution and a win-win solution in the negotiation. So I would say in the meeting to build psychological safety, so spend some time to connect at a personal level. Um, and what? How, how do you connect? It, you can either share something personal because that builds a little bit connection, human level, Vulnerable, depending on, on how, if the team is an experienced team, being vulnerable in the beginning will help, like share a highlight and a low light of the week. It doesn't have to be share us our childhood traumas. It can be what was the highlight and the low light of since we last met. So you actually make it okay for people to bring both positive and negative things in the meeting. Um, these are some of the ways I would say quickly you can establish more psychological safety. Now, you've got me thinking and reflecting if uh, a podcast episode is a meeting and if I'm the one who called the meeting in a way, um, you, you raised some interesting points about establishing that trust and rapport. Now, you know, a lot of listeners might not know, but, you know, Katerina and I did a pre-call maybe a week ago, and um, I, I tried doing that with guests, um, not even so much about outlining the topics for the episode, but getting to know each other a little bit or trying to at least establish some comfort. And I make mistakes. And when I do, I share them. Um, maybe I should start every episode by sharing a mistake 
I've made, but um, hopefully, and I'm putting it on the spot because we're recording and there's people listening, but you know, I, I, I hope I've created a safe environment for you to be forthcoming and, and open you about did. things. And I was thinking about that before this podcast, because I'm doing podcasts right now because the book new, the, the new book is out. And right before we were started, I was thinking of how much more comfortable I was feeling because I met you before, because not all podcasters will do this pre-call. And, and, and it was a moment of vulnerability from my side when my four-year-old son crashed the call <laughs> <laughs> and, and how yeah. you, it was okay how you handled that as well. So I, I was thinking about that before we started. So as a guest, I can confirm this pre-call, I think makes a huge difference of how comfortable your guests are. Yeah. And I, I think there is this balance of efficiency. So, you know, part of me wants to, uh, no, I mean, I do want to respect the time of you and other guests. Um, some guests are too busy or they're, they're not interested in doing the pre-call. So we, we do a short pre-call <laughs> before we, we do the recording. It's, 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 it's immediate and it's, um, it's short. But um, yeah, there's that balance of, well, okay, do you feel comfortable? Let's jump right in versus, you know, today before we started recording, other than kind of the cursory, how's your day going so far? You know, it's tea time for Katerina in London. Um, I don't, you know, so anyway, I, I, I don't think we started it off badly, but it, it, you raise a good question of, um, you know, spending a couple of minutes, um, chit-chatting, if you will, making small talk builds comfort and, and rapport. I, I, I take your point that that's not a waste of time. So the engineer in me who sometimes is very wired toward um, efficiency and making good use of time, that, that could trip me up. Sure. I can see where that would cause problems. So with the book, and again, the book is called Hold Successful Meetings. Yeah, Katarina, what's the story? I'm always interested to talk to an author and say, well, what was the spark of motivation, you know, that, that led you to say, I should write a book. I want to write a book. I'm definitely going to write a book because it, it's a big undertaking. There are many books out there on meetings already. What was your inspiration for doing this? Sure. First of all, I think I suffered through my corporate career through a lot of ineffective and boring meetings. I, I found myself bored in meetings and, and it, it could be because I was always in a global role and I had a lot of virtual meetings even many years ago. Now virtual meetings are the norm. But back then, I think all my, most of my meetings were virtual, but we didn't know how to do virtual meetings. So it was a pain point for me. It, like I was bored. And then I started coaching my clients and they suffered. Like were back-to-back calls. They, they didn't have time to do their own work. But I also started coaching teams, and I loved it. So I think it was the contrast of I hated meetings, but then when I was coaching teams and bringing them together and working on purpose and all this uh, psychological safety and, and then doing work with them, I loved it. They loved it. They, they were looking forward to the co- team coaching session. And um, so it I got me curious. I said, okay, team coaching sessions are also meetings. What's the difference here? Why? And you've, we've all have experienced, but there are meetings we, we dread. <laughs> and there are some type of meetings that we're really looking forward to. And I wanted to explore what this difference was. And could I actually solve this issue? I think I was motivated through my own bad experiences and, and my clients' bad experiences. And I think it's a big enough problem and a painful enough problem to, I said, it, it's worth for me um, 
starting this and bringing all my team coaching techniques and giving them to leaders to hold successful meetings. So thinking of that one, that one word for the title, uh, the word from the title, how do you define successful or how should people hosting or participating in a meeting define successful? It's a good question. Um, so I, three, I have three pillars of the book. And it, I, the first is purpose. What is the purpose of the meeting? And I have a, a framework and I, I'm a, my framework is I argue that there are only four reasons to have a meeting. It's called the 4D meeting framework. And it's to define a goal or a problem, to develop ideas, to decide or do something. And do either in the meeting or inspire someone to do something. So it's the four Ds. So a successful meeting is the one that achieves the, the purpose. And the purpose, I argue, should be one of these four Ds. Like I'm, I'm not into meetings for updating. You can do that asynchronously. There's so many apps for that right now. The second pillar is people. Okay, yes, you need to achieve the purpose. How, how do you bring the best out of the people in the meeting? And that's where inclusion, psychological safety, or even yourself, right? How do you show up best in your meeting? So that's the second pillar of the book. And the third is process, which is what we talked about, how you start the meeting, how you finish, like some tips of how do you manage this process to be successful? So I would say... What's the purpose of the meeting? And also the how, how you bring the people and leverage their brain power. Like a successful meeting is a meeting that manages to leverage everybody's brain power rather than monologues or uh, informational updates and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I dislike meetings when, like you said, it's just strictly sharing of information. Um, mm. Because part of me gets frustrated and this is, you know, a different context. I'm not picking on any one person or organization here. Um, I, this phrase comes to mind and there are coffee mugs and there are probably t-shirts and it's been a popular phrase. I think this meeting could have been an email. Yes. When I think of different ways of communicating, um, you know, people could record a video and share it to be watched, as you said, asynchronously. Personally, I would prefer to read and scan a document. I, I, I don't like it when uh, somebody sends a video in lieu of um, an email, but there are some, you know, different people have different communication preferences. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point. This question around, um, or uh, it seems like what you're saying is a meeting should be interactive, not just one way communication. I think back, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I saw a clip from the golden globe awards which was very much a virtual event. And, and Tina Fey or Amy Poehler, one or both of them said, this whole award show could have been an email, <laughs> which wow. is just tapping, in, tapping into that sentiment in, uh, in, in, in a funny way. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, I, I think that time spent together, whether that's in person or virtually, is maximized when... Could you go through the four Ds again? Debate, discussion, or what? Yes. What, what, what were the four Ds again? Yes. Define a goal or a problem. As you know, would you like me... I'll go to all the sure, four Ds and I, I can yeah. go deeper. Define a problem or a goal, develop ideas, decide, or do. And these are steps in a design thinking process, as, as you know. Like, you cannot... To solve any problem, you, know, you need to define the problem, develop ideas, decide the way forward, and do what you decided. So the 4D framework is, is to be clear why 
you're having the meeting, which one of the four days, and it could be one or more than one. But also in the meeting, if you have more than one, let's say we need to define a problem and develop ideas or develop ideas for a known problem and then decide. You do it in specific sections. So people actually know now we're developing ideas. So there's no decision. There's no implement. We don't talk about the implementation. We're not talking about <laughs> which idea is better because that's conver- uh, convergent thinking. Now we're in the develop idea stage and this is what we're doing. Or now we're defining the problem. Let's not talk about ideas right now. Let's see what the real problem is here. So the four Ds can be objectives or also can be steps in the meeting to align the participants or what we're doing right now. What what stage are we on? And it seems like being very clear and specific about that. It would is useful. Having that yes. model in front of yes. people. Yes, because... Um, there was a Doodle report that said the biggest, um, what makes the biggest difference in meetings is knowing the objective. In many meetings, we don't. Like all these status updates and these weekly meetings, we, we have no idea what the objective is. But also, because these pro- steps in the process, individually, we jump around all the time. Like when we're thinking about individually, let's say what, I'll, what food I'll order tonight, I'll say maybe curry, but not curry because it's too spicy. And then you go, I need food that is not spicy. You redefine the problem. So you're jumping around as an individual. But bring a group together to do that. It's chaos. That's mm. why yeah, yeah. they're so ineffective, right? Because in the, what works well at an individual level, jumping through the Ds at a group level creates chaos. So it's a simple way to just guide them through the four Ds and make sure they reach the, the, the destination. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds very helpful. Um, you know, you've, you've already brought up the idea, the reality of this past year, many, many, many virtual meetings. Are there particular mistakes related to virtual meetings that you call it? It seems like your framework and your ideas that you've mentioned, Katerina, would apply just the same if we're in person versus remotely. But what, are, are there some lessons you've learned or mistakes you've made with virtual meetings this year? Yes. So... I, I wrote the book during the pandemic, so I was, I, was, I had to, to turn all my meetings and all my team coaching sessions online. I think mistakes are, virtual meetings are more tiring. There's a lot more going on, tech issues, more overload of information. So first of all, let's make them shorter. <laughs> let's have breaks, which is, a lot of people don't do. Like, you need to have a break at least every, like I, I have when I'm doing group coaching sessions, Minimum every like 45 minutes we'll have stretch break. Like th- that's a simple one. Second, it, the interaction is a lot harder. There's more interruptions. There's less turn taking. So how do you work around that as a meeting leader? I think they need more structure. So because it's harder for people to contribute unless you create it. Let's go round robin, round robin and round robin, not for updates. I'm really against the round robin. Let's give updates, but for opinions, right? Uh, so the second will be, um, so first of all, shorter meetings, more structure and using the breakouts again, because it's harder to build this connection. And a big part of the meeting was going to the meeting, waiting for the meeting to start, what happens in the break, all this socializing. Unless you recreate it in a virtual environment, you, you will miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, again, Katerina's book is titled uh, Hold Successful Meetings. Uh, it's from Penguin Business as the publisher. And um, on, on your website, if you can share the URL 
um, for us. Is this on the leaderpath.com? You, you have a quiz. I do, yes. Um, Leader- about com. successful meetings. Yes. I'm sorry. Lead- of course. Speaking of interruptions and online meeting awkwardness, sorry. No, no. I, I got super excited about this, so I, ju- I jumped on to share <laughs> this. Because the issue is that the leader of the meeting rates the meeting better than the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Normal. Yeah. Because we we talk more as if we're running the meeting. And when you talk more, you're enjoying more of yourself. So another problem of the meeting is you are not self-aware how successful are your meetings. So that's why I created a quiz to, to accompany the book. It's in leaderpad.com slash meetings. So you it's a short quiz and you can get some personalized results. How successful are your meetings with some uh, tips as well of how to make them better. Yeah. Um, as, as a coach, do, do you ever get brought in to be an observer? It seems like this would be a lot easier now with online meetings to be an observer and then just after the fact, give feedback to the leader of the meeting, to participants. Do you do that? Yes, a lot of times. And it's a, and a, a lot of fun. <laughs> you get to peek in on other people's you're, you're invited into the meetings you're not zoom bombing i'm sure is that no, no, yes i'm invited it's, part, it's an optional when i do team coaching I, I interview the team and it's an optional if they want me to observe a meeting and, and you always get a lot about the interactions and the team dynamics um and i i, I used like for the book i i, I got got a lot of of my clients, I said, let's do this. I, I did like a mini meeting makeover for all of this because I wanted to test the ideas of the book specifically for their weekly meetings, right? So I observed a lot of meetings, extra meetings for the book. And usually the the feedback, the most common other than not having a clear outcome, it was not de- defining the problem early enough in the process. You'll be surprised because we jump, we all have a bias to action I work with a lot of tech, given my Google background. So we have we want to get started and get things done. And and what I realized it's sometimes they were solving the wrong problem. Yes, yes, I, I, that that's something I recognize. And you know, I know enough about design thinking to be dangerous. Like that 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 <laughs> approach, from what I've learned about it, resonates with me. But there's a lot of similarity to frameworks people might know of. Uh, the lean startup methodology, or even more broadly, you know, with my roots originally in the automotive industry, thinking about the Toyota production system and the lean methodology. And one of the key lessons is stop jumping the solutions. Mm. Make sure you understand the problem. And um, I, I think that's that's really good advice when it comes to even diagnosing our meetings, because I'm sure a lot of books would be full of solutions instead mm-hmm. of a framework for going through and looking and analyzing your own meetings. That's, that's what I'm sensing um, is, is more your approach, that the book is not 101 solutions, right? No. It's more of a framework for figuring it out. And it's, it's not really about meetings, Mark. Like I use meetings as the mm. door because the book is all these Ds, right? The, it is around leadership and how you bring people together to achieve a common purpose. Meetings is makes it tangible and specific because you do meetings as a leader and it helped me hold all this. But how you help people be creative, which is the develop ideas, how you help people make decisions, how you ha- make sure the team implements or you inspire them to implement and how you build the psychological safety and the inclusion in the team. That's what we do uh, like as any leader. So I think... 
I use the meetings as the way, the practical way in to talk about leadership because I think it's really hard for leaders. Oh, you need to be a better leader. I think it's a boiling the ocean a little bit. But how or, about or people? People don't want to hear that. Yeah, they think they're great about, leaders. Yes, exactly. But how about this few hours you are you have in your day with your team? How about you make sure you optimize that? And that's the first domino that will have the hugest impact, right? It's the twenty percent that will have the eighty percent of the impact. So the book is a Trojan horse. Yes. <laughs> Very cleverly done. No. Um, the book, though, is um, called Hold Successful Meetings. And um, you, you raise a really good point there. It's about leadership. It's about effectiveness. And um, hopefully people will check the book out. So again, the author and um, our, our guest today has been Katerina Costula. Uh, her company is called The Leader Path. And you can learn more at uh, her website, www.theleaderpath.com. Katerina, thank you so much for sharing your um, your thoughts, reflections, mistakes with us today. Um, again, congratulations on the launch of the book. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks again to Katerina Costula for being our guest today. For links, including the link to her book and other show notes and more, you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake85. Thanks for listening. Please follow, rate, and review the podcast. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.